Well, there you have it. Another Mastermind Project podcast. We want to thank you for being here and investing in yourself. Uh, That's the key to growth because we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So thank you for investing in yourself. We hope that you found something here useful. As a matter of fact, it's our desire that you've heard something from this podcast that would make a difference if you implement it in your business. And we know that success favors the speed of implementation. Take a note, take action on something that you've learned here. It'll make a difference. We'd love to hear about it. So, and you can also join us and tell us a little bit about it at our next live event. And you can register for that at www.briankmcrae.com www.briankmcrae.com. We've got our mastermind event schedule there and you can join us virtually uh, at our next event on the third Thursday of the month. So for this time and until next time, study things that matter, practice things that matter and teach things that matter to people who care. Appreciate you. All right, I now have the distinct pleasure to introduce Mike Burke to you. Um, And I have not met Mike until this morning, although we've had several great conversations. Um, I have been um, blessed to know about his influence because I've spoken with many, many people that um, have been encouraged by him. And um, even in the weeks coming up to this, as I was talking with people, I was like, oh, hey, Mike Burke's coming, you know, to our next mastermind. And they're like, Mike Burke, I love Mike. And I'm like, great. So it's like everyone that I know already knew him. And so I feel really blessed to get to introduce him today. So I just want to share with you that life, even its challenges, doesn't have to be about a struggle or a fight. You can live, lead, and achieve with confidence and ease. Born with a life-threatening chronic illness, Michael first struggled to know that he was capable of overcoming daunting odds. When Michael embraced the idea of a positive future, when, excuse me, when Michael embraced the idea a positive future could be brought about, he began to make the very most of his gift of time. Ultimately, he began turning life and business disruptions into opportunities. He will bring to life how we can all transform difficult circumstances into opportunities and create the highest levels of success, health, and happiness. Please welcome Michael Burke. Thank you. You're not. How about now? Yes. It's the green button. It works wonders. (laughs) Thank you. I thought also my phone was going to go off here, and I only have it up here to make sure I hit the time mark, because otherwise I'll talk forever, and you all definitely don't want that. So there is a really special mindset that is already within you. It's in within all of us, and we don't have to do anything special to develop it. We just have to get out of our own way. Because there's really only one thing that can get in the way, and that is our mind in sabotage mode. I'm sure you've heard about saboteurs and how we sabotage ourselves. But our brain does this funny stuff. It actually has a real focus on the negative in life. Have you ever watched the news? Is it like full of positive stuff? No. no. And they know it. We're attracted to it. But beyond that, Uh, 90% of the thoughts you have, and we might have up to 70,000 a day, 90% of them are repetitive. So there's the same thoughts you had the day before, and they generally focus on hurts and disappointments and failures. So that's your brain sabotaging this amazing thing you have inside of you. 
Uh, the other thing we need to know about those 95% uh, uh, repetitive thoughts is 85% of them have a real negative aspect to them. So you're not reliving the pleasures of life. You're not reliving the successes and joy. You're reliving negative things. So this is how your mind takes you away from this really special mindset that is designed to take life's challenges and literally turn them from disruption into opportunities and even gifts. So if we can learn how to transform this nature of our mind into something more positive, then we really have something. Every innovation from the wheel to sliced bread to space travel came from someone who was turning something difficult into some sort of opportunity and innovation. So, you know, maybe that would help you understand that this is possible. What I'm going to do today, without getting into all the science of mental fitness and positive intelligence and all that, I'm just going to tell you a couple of stories. Stories about my parents. Stories about myself. Stories about the researchers who are doing work to help my life be better. And I hope you'll hear the themes of saboteurs. I hope you'll hear the themes of this very special mindset we're all born with, really, and to see what happens when we're letting the negative side of our mind do its thing versus the positive side of our mind doing its thing. So if you're ready to hear some great stories, give me one of these. Give me an oh yeah. Ah, stole that from Virginia Moose case. Uh, so we have to know that the two sides of our mind, this negative and positive, are coexisting. At the very same time, we can decide whether to look at something in a positive light or a negative light. But as I mentioned, we have this really kinky thing of focusing on the negative. It's natural. They have terms for it. Uh, so what we do is we shift our focus over to there. It seems pretty simple, sometimes it is, but we need to practice it. And the difference between focusing on the negative and focusing on the positive is all the difference in the world because you can hit peak performance, you can be in exceptional leadership, and have uncompromised happiness, no matter what's going on in life, if we choose the positive side of our mind. And this isn't Pollyanna, where we ignore the problems in life. It's actually helping us to lean into challenges. We're just gonna look at possibilities of the positive side versus limitations of the negative side. So this is important because whatever we think, whatever we project as happening, we'll make that happen. So whether you're focused on negative or focused on positive, you're going to make that happen. Okay? I think it was uh, Eleanor Roosevelt that talked about that. She said, whatever you believe will come true. So we have to tap in to a booster to get us over to this positive side of life and make all these wonderful things happen. Uh, I got my little drag racer, goes from zero to 335 miles in three seconds. It's got a little special fuel, nitromethane. It's actually rocket fuel, but it's an additive to the fuel. And it, it burns super, super hot. So it's like a shining star. It burns, like after they turn the key off, the engine still runs because it's that much of a boost to the engine, and then finally, 
Uh, the reason it's so good and powerful is it has its own oxygen. So you don't need anything else but the nitromethane. No outside tools need to come in. It's naturally powerful. So what's naturally powerful within us that we are all born with? Hope. Hope is within all of us, and only a sabotaging mind can diminish that. You're going to hear a lot about hope, and what I call dumb hope. When all the data will tell you not to have it, people have it when they focus on the positive. And it's got to be within. You can't fake this. You know, you can't fake, uh, make it, it until you make it, right? You have to build this and tap into it, and it's got to exude from you. So when I was uh, six months old, I developed this uh, relentless cough. And this little baby, coughing, 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 coughing. And a couple months later, I stopped gaining weight. And my mom was an experienced mom. I'm the youngest of four. And she knew something was really wrong, but the doctors couldn't figure it out. And uh, around my first birthday, actually 14 months old, doctor finally, finally thought he put his finger on it. And he said, go down to Cardinal Glennon and test him for cystic fibrosis. And they went down there that day, and at 14 months old, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic lung disease primarily, but it also affects the digestive system. And at the time, they told my parents I'd be lucky to live past kindergarten. It was the number one genetic killer of children, and there was not one single living adult. And... As you could imagine, my parents became quite fearful. They lowered their expectations of what was possible for my life, and they started treating me different than my older brothers. One of these little saboteurs that our mind likes to recruit is called the hypervigilant. And germs were very dangerous for me. Uh, all these kids were suffering from repeated lung infections. So mom and dad properly sheltered me. While my other brothers were living life, playing sports, you know, drinking from hoses, doing all that stuff in the 70s, but now we know we're not supposed to do, I was being sheltered inside. And I was growing up that way. But something was bothering my father, particularly my father, my mom too, but particularly my dad. And one day, uh, he's in this hyper-vigilant mode, trying to keep his little boy safe. Uh, but all my brothers were out in the backyard, and they were playing some crazy football game, just like murder the boy with the football. And when he fumbles it, murder the next dummy who picks it up, right? No rules. And it's like little misty, rainy November day, right? Too cold to really be playing out there in the rain, uh, but it was happening. And uh, I was inside with my face plastered up against the window, just just dying to be outside with my brothers and the neighborhood kids. Guess who was watching me do that? Anybody take a guess? Dad is watching me. And he had had enough. He finally heard what the doctor had been telling him for four years now. Let Michael be a little boy. Let him do what his brothers do. And it clicked. And he said, boy, go get ready. And those were magic words to me. So I get ready, and he's going to open the sliding glass door. I'm like this racehorse ready to go. 
he opens the door, and I shoot out there. Now, remember, I'm the youngest. My oldest brother's eight years older than me, so there's some big kids in there. And before I get into the melee, someone takes me out. Remember, no rules, plus I was an annoying little brother. And my dad's fear goggles, he saw me flying through the air, you know, like Bugs Bunny, clothes flying off, you know, this football helmet flying off my head. And I go crashing down into the wet, muddy, germy ground. And he opened, like, he's going to come get me. He's going to come take me away from the danger. And before he could really open the door, guess what I did? I got up. What did I do next? Uh, well, yes. I went into the melee myself. Did I brush myself off? Hell no. Mud was a badge of honor. I was in. And that was the day my dad never looked at me with those fear goggles driven by this hypervigilant saboteur. And he had tough moments, right? He would watch me do things and get hurt or, you know, get sick, whatever it was. And he just had to remind himself that I was a little boy, just like his other sons. And that really helped Finn break through from the fear and really where the hope came in. So from day one, when I was very little, my dad would have to thump on me, lay me across his lap and thump on my chest, my back, and my sides 800 times a night. And that would make me cough and get this nasty, germy junk out of my lungs. That was the only therapy and medicine we had. So he was doing it every night. And when he was traveling on business, mom was thumping on me. When we were camping around the campfire, they would be thumping on me. And I calculated that. For 12 years, they did that. And I don't remember a night where it was missed. Do it in your head. 800 thumps a night for 12 years. Over 3 million claps of my body. Only hope would drive them to do that. There's a real interesting definition of hope that I picked up from values in action, character strengths. And it's expecting the best out of the future and working to make it happen. A belief that you can bring about good things. And my mom and dad, they, they tapped into that. There was no data that would say he's a nice, long, strong life, but they did what was in their control. And that was beat on me every night. And I would fall asleep while my dad was thumping on me. So it wasn't as hard as I thought it was for me. Uh, and some of the parents didn't do that. Mine did. And it set me up in childhood to have a really fairly healthy childhood. Played soccer, played baseball, ate dirt, drank out of hoses, played in the creek. And here I am years later. So this hope, this dumb hope, just it fueled all of their activity, uh, all this um, postural drainage, taking me to the doctor, helping me exercise. Uh, when it became my time, when I was a teenager, and new friends asking me, hey, Mike, why do you take 10,000 pills a year to digest food? Why do you go to the hospital every year? Why do you cough like that? Because it's still 
still there. I had to give him an answer. I never really thought about it. I don't take medicine because I'm supposed to. I got this thing called CF. I never thought about it. Well, I had to start thinking about it and telling people. And so, you know, being the brilliant young mind I am, I rode my bicycle up to the library because we're talking pre-internet days. You know, uh, whatever. Uh, I'll take that as a, um, a point of pride that I'm that old. Uh, so I, I open up this medical book and I read all about cystic fibrosis, things that the doctors never said, things that my parents never said, and it was all pretty grim. A lot of low, low expectations for how well I might live or how long I might live. Obviously, I had been beating life expectancies because every year we were all living a little bit longer. But that life expectancy was right there, two years in the future. And when I was 15, I read my life expectancy was 18. And there's still no adults. So I didn't have anybody to look forward to. And a few years later, I mean, I just hit those low expectations. A little judge saboteur said, this thing is too hard. You will, not make, you will not make it through. So I didn't really doubt that I had the ability. I just saw the situation as too hard. So I started avoiding difficult things. If it wasn't fun, I didn't do it. So school was not fun for me, and I didn't do it. Right? Uh, I did well, like working. I worked at a golf course all through high school. Loved that, but it was fun for me. So I avoided difficult things. And that's a nasty little saboteur, especially when you have this underlying condition and needs a lot of attention. So there was this moment that the leader in my life, my father, helped me snap out of this. One day around the dinner table, he says, where are you going to college? Your brothers are in college. I said, I'm not going to college. And he's the wrong guy to tell that to. Uh, he said, well, why not? And I said, well, what's the point? I talked about this mortality. And he had never heard me talk about that. And it shocked him. And being the positively focused man he is, he went across the dinner table. Now, he was also very direct. And he could raise his voice with the best of them. He leaned over in my face and he said, bullshit. You're going. And as I started sneaking away, he said, hey, and you're going to do well. So he had this hope in me, this really real belief that his son, who was nothing more than a CD student, could do well in college and really do well. And I took that. I borrowed that belief that he had in me. And it was also hopeful, right? There's a reason you go to college. We do these things expecting the best. And we have control over what we put into it. We didn't know if I would live this ripe old age, but we knew if we put the work into it, we could create the best outcomes. And that's a lowercase h for hope. Believing you can make the effort, the capital H, is this great thing that could possibly happen. It's kind of two ways to think about hope. This great, big, really nice, amazing thing can happen. Okay, but I know I can affect that. That's that lowercase hope. So I go to college. Everything worked fine. And I get out in the working world. And I was in the hotel business. And I said to my boss, I was like, I'm going to be a director of sales in four years. And he said, well, this is your first day in the hotel business. Good luck with that. Think like more six or seven years. And I said, well, I don't have time for that. I want to do it quickly. And he said, well, 
Here's the way I did it. I went to struggling hotels and fixed them. And I became a director of sales very quickly. So remember, I have this avoider in me that doesn't like hard things. But it clicked in my mind that inside the disruption, inside the chaos and the tough thing is the greatest opportunity. And that was the first time it clicked in my mind that there was opportunity and gifts in disruption. So I did exactly what he said. When he would get transferred to a hotel, he would make space for me, and I would follow him. And we did this around the country. And it was great for me, you know, a single guy moving to new cities. It was adventurous and fun. I was really living out a vision I had for fun, adventure, and success. So I'm living that out, and it felt really good. But in the background, I'm getting this little shove from this shortened time frame I have in my mind. So while the success was fun and meeting new people was great, uh, I was getting this little negative motivation and still avoiding the disease. Working really hard six days a week, never had a, a, you know, a vacation or a holiday. It's a hotel business. You're on 24-7. And uh, it caught up. It caught up to me. And I started getting a little sick because I was avoiding the whole thing, really the one thing that mattered most. So during all this uh, achieving, which felt good in one respect, I started getting sick. And I got, though, hit director of sales in three years and 11 months. So that's the power of a vision, how you can make that happen. But we need a whole vision. And I had this um, thing missing, this deep happiness, this deep ability to lean in to the gorilla in the room, which was cystic fibrosis. So because I didn't lean in, I got sick. I was the new director of sales for the Omni Hotel in Detroit. It was a hot mess, which I was used to. That didn't stress me out. But I was losing weight, which is fine for a normal body. You lose cystic fibrosis, you lose lung capacity. There's a direct correlation. And I lost 20% of my lung capacity meaning 20% of my lungs were dead. And now I'm this super skinny guy, not healthy, lean, but skinny. And I had to make this big decision in life. Am I going to lean into the big gorilla in the room, or am I going to continue having the, the fun and adventure? I needed to make a decision. And for the first time in my life, I heard this little score driving my action. You're not going to live very long. You're not going to have everything you want. You're not going to get. You're not going to get. I had never heard it before. And that changed everything about my life. And I heard it. I was like, oh, I don't want to think like that anymore. And I certainly don't want to be making myself sick. Because if I would have been taking care of my body, I probably wouldn't have got sick like that. When I heard it, I made the promise, never going to be driven by the negative side again, like the Darth Vader side, right? So I moved back home to St. Charles, St. Louis, Missouri. And to take charge of my health, uh, I did something that everybody thought I was crazy for doing. Growing up, we had this therapy, and the other therapy was to stay active. The running, jumping, playing that kids do, Made me cough, made me get this stuff out of my lungs. So let him play. And what they wanted more than anything was for Michael to run. 
but I don't know if any of you have ever just run to run. It's pretty tasking. It's boring. There's a lot of time of thinking, and you know, you got to be good with yourself. Uh, but I started running, you know, little 5Ks, and I could feel this clarity of my lungs. I stopped coughing so much. Um, I really tried to figure out my diet because my belly was really a hot mess. Remember, I take 10,000 pills a year simply to digest food. If I don't take those pills, uh, I will die of starvation. So I have to figure out how can I take 10,000 pills with every meal? What can I eat that's easily digestible so I'm not out there running and all heck breaks loose? And I started figuring it out because I had a new positive vision for my life. I was going to beat the thing. And I was going to do my best to beat it physically, but really, this is what I was comparing. I wanted uh, a great life. Hold on, guys. That's uh, a little medical device telling me that uh, it's not happy. Oh, golly. Where are you? All right. Well, we should be good. No, it's good. Uh, so I have this new real positive vision. I've got this hope. Like I can, I can make these amazing changes in my life. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know if I live day to day with this positive vision, with this action toward trying to create this cool outcome, I'll live happier and success will come. John Wooden, the famous coach at UCLA, like the winningest basketball coach of all time, would tell his boys, give me your best at practice, give me your best in the game, and the wins will take care of themselves. So he was more of a process guy than we're going to win every game. He knew the activity would lead to the winning season. And he knew they would lose too, but stay to the process, you'll create the win. So John Wooden was super hopeful. Uh, so running's boring, but I could feel the change. I like challenges. So I thought, what's the, what's the most difficult thing I could try? And it was a marathon. 26.2 miles, running as fast as you can without stopping. And uh, you remember our little drag racer with our nitromethane? Like that thing was built to race, right? But this body is more like that. Right? You don't, you don't take a Ford Pinto to the races. A Dan might know a little better. Dan's in the cars. That thing can be souped up and run fast. You won't win a lot. That's right. But I, I just knew I could do this thing. I had no data that told me I could do it. I just believed I could do it. So I started reading everything about runners, every book, every magazine, all of it. And I started to be able to run further and faster. My lungs were clearer and clearer. I gained 10 pounds running 40 miles a week. Eating super healthy food, which generally would make you lose weight, figured out the food that it takes to only fuel a body running a lot, but to also gain weight. And I experimented with the medicine. How do I maximize it to gain this weight? And I didn't care really about uh, now living longer. I wanted to run a marathon, and I run it, wanted to run it well. So I had a positive goal where all of my 
positive focus would go. I wasn't thinking about the scary stuff I would thought about as a kid. So I was super happy. And the disease is progressive, and it was progressing, but I was genuinely a happy adult. Succeeding in my career, beating the disease, uh, it's not a mystery that I met my wife now of 20 years at this time, whereas I couldn't hold relationship back when I was younger because I wasn't willing to lean in. So uh, I worked really hard, changed diet, changed medical routine, saw the doctor every three months like I was supposed to, started doing the treatments, sitting in this machine that shakes my chest, which makes me cough, doing 500 hours of breathing treatment on top of running marathons, on top of having a career. But I was so focused and happy, it worked out. My father drove down to Tulsa, Oklahoma with me to run my first marathon. That's me crossing the finish line. Um, what's going on there is I'm checking my watch. I felt no emotion other than I just finished within three seconds of my goal time. Four hours, 21 minutes, and some odd seconds. That's a 10-minute mile on the button. Now, I want to tell you something about that woman. Do you see her back there? Step out of the way. You see her? I met her the night before. That's not my mother. That's not my sister-in-law. That's not a friend. That's a total and complete stranger who I told my story to. And I never told anybody anything. Ever. I didn't want anybody to know this hot mess that's going on. I told her, and look what happened. I got a new friend. I, I inspired her. I, I, it wasn't my intention. I just wanted to run this race and feel better about my life. But that positive vision I had for it and put all the effort, she knew what CF was, cystic fibrosis. She knew about it. I didn't know. Something else happened because of uh, this positiveness. Whether you, oh, let me restate that. Whether you're in a negative focus or a positive focus, that is contagious. Daniel Goleman tells us that in emotional intelligence, right? My happiness is contagious, so is my negative emotion. My vision, my effort, my attitude was super contagious to her. What I didn't know on the drive home, I'm dying in pain, right? I just ran 26 miles. I'm hurting. Dad had an RV, so I'm passed out. He goes, hey, you all right there? Yeah. He's like, I want to tell you a story. So my dad, he would talk to anybody. Totally, there was not a stranger in his life. He said, I met a woman out on the, the course. When you passed me, I'm like, yeah. She asked why you were running. And I said, well, he's running to be healthy. And this woman started crying. And, you know, my dad thought he said something dumb and, he said, are you okay? She's like, I am more than okay. I have two grandchildren with cystic fibrosis, and all I've ever heard of was death and destruction. Your boy's 31 years old and just ran a marathon? That solidified in this mind of mine that I was doing really good things, and it brought me out of my self-focus into other focus. And I thought, I need to do more of this because I'm healthy. I'm right with the world. But others are seeing 
possibilities in their life. So I got hooked, and over the next 10 years, I ran nine full marathons, my last being my fastest. As the disease is progressing, I got faster, maintained this healthy weight, maintained this amazing this relationship with this amazing woman I'm married to, and helped others in the CF community see they had an older adult to look to. And I just couldn't believe that was me. So nine marathons, 20 half marathons. So one marathon a year, two half marathons a year. And in there, uh, Fleet Feet Sports, who's really the running specialist here in St. Louis, approached me and said, we're starting a coaching program. Would you be a coach for our marathoners? I said, well, I'm a middle of the pack, coughing, flatulent runner. If you think that makes a great coach, I'm in. And that's the way it went. I coached for 12 years for them. I knew it was hard, and I was super hard. I said, Mike, no one's going to be able to complain to you. No one's going to be able to lower their expectations because of their self-doubt, because of their fear, because of whatever saboteurs are running through their head. In your company, that won't stand. So I then wrote a book about this life with a chronic illness. And I sent it to a buddy who's a really successful business consultant. I said, Matt, do I have anything here for businesses? And he said, yeah, Mike, everything you're talking about is in this new book called Positive Intelligence, written by Shirzad Shamin. And he really taught, takes a real nice scientific view of this negative half of our brain and this positive half of our brain. If we're directed by the negative side, we can get lots of success in life. Remember, I was the youngest director of sales for a very prestigious hotel company. But there was stuff missing, right? I wasn't deeply, authentically happy or really able to lean into all of life's challenges. Only when I hit this positive side of the mind, quieted my saboteurs that said, this situation is impossible. When I quieted the avoider and the victim and all these nasty little hyper-achieving stuff, did I have a complete picture of what's possible. And out of that flowed bold. Life's challenges, its disruptions, kind of make us shrink. We become fearful of the future. Darth Vader was afraid of the future. I don't know if anybody knows that. He saw Padme dying, and that's what drove him to the dark side. He was angry and fearful. Uh, the Jedi, they're peaceful, calm warriors, right? They, they're not afraid of a challenge. They just do it in a real different way. So I learned to be more and more motivated by the positive side of life. Be bold when challenges hit, when disruptions come our way, because they're going to come. We can be bold. And that means to be confident in the future, another word for hope to be courageous in the face of adversity, dare, dare to be you. I can't be like my brothers. I can't be like Brian McRae or these other people that I admire. I need to be me. And when I'm me, great things happen. And then have an unshakable belief in others, an unwavering belief in the capacity of those around me. My father gave that to me. 
he might have his doubts about a dum-dum going to college or my ability, this super adventurous, like carefree kid, be able to take care of himself. He never expressed it to me. I don't think he had it. I think he really believed in his boys. And it exuded from him. And we all picked up on it. So that was all great. Uh, but the disease did start doing its thing to me. Remember, now I'm in my 40s, way beyond the life expectancies, even the, you know, way beyond the initial, still living beyond all the new life expectancies. I've lived beyond my life expectancy since my 28th birthday. It's just a thing. It's just what we do. Um, but the disease was getting me a little bit, right? It was attacking my lungs, and I was in the hospital every year for a week. Then it turned into twice a year and I couldn't run anymore. I, I did attempt an Ironman, uh, almost finished the thing, but my body couldn't do that. So uh, I was like, well, what can I do? Because I still like the mental benefits of exercise, and I knew the physical benefits, even though my body's declining. So I got on the bicycle. It's you know, easier on the joints and all that, and I could still ride and enjoy it, but I could not ride further than 40 miles. And that might seem like a long way to you, but for someone who's used to being able to ride his bike 70, 80, 90 miles, it was really hard. Every ride was hard. I couldn't breathe. If I tried to stomp on the pedals, didn't do a little sprint or climb a hill, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't breathe. And what you don't know about the disease is I lose extraordinary amounts of salt in my sweat. So I dehydrate rapidly. So think about that. A marathoner, he doesn't breathe well, he doesn't digest food, and he dehydrates rapidly. It was, there was no reason to think I could do it. So all this is kicking in, but I kept at it. Like, I'm just going to ride and ride. I know that it's doing good. So that was 2018, and I rode 1,800 miles, which felt really good to have done that, but they were hard, hard miles. In 2019, I thought, well, I could do 1,800 miles. I wonder if I could do... 3,000. I'm feeling a little better. A new medicine had come out. Uh, a new medicine came out, and it was uh, fixing the genetic defect. So all the medicine I had ever taken was all about symptoms, making sure I would digest food, uh, making sure that this uh, stuff in my lungs could get out and not create infections. This was hitting the source. Just like mental fitness hits the source problem of underperformance, this medicine was hitting the CF genetic defect. And I did feel better. In that year, I didn't go into the hospital for the first time in eight years. But I didn't feel much different. I still couldn't breathe well. I still couldn't exercise well. Couldn't get beyond 40 miles. But I did 3,000 miles for the year. That felt really good. And then on January 4th of 2020, I started a new medicine. I tweaked that medicine. And within four days, the lifelong cough that I've had disappeared. My body is no longer producing the thick stuff that is the hallmark of cystic fibrosis. I don't cough anymore. Uh, I'm trying to hide the weight gain. I don't know if I'm doing it well, but I, 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 like, I have to totally go on a diet. R Ravi, my doc, my CF doc for the past 25 years, 
We have this great relationship. He sits down next to me in the room, and he pats my belly. And I'm going to do his accent because I love it. He says, Michael, you have to lose weight. It's like, screw you. You've been telling me to eat ice cream and pizza and everything, whatever you want to eat, eat it, because you don't digest it. Let's get what you can get. He told me to lose weight. Crazy, mind-blowing. And then I started on the cycling thing in January. I was like, well, if I rode 3,000 miles last year and I'm feeling so good, I wonder if I could do four. And that was 2020. Dan, how, how, how far did I ride in 2020? Was it 4,400 miles? Something like that? I did do five. I did 5,000 5, miles on a bicycle that year. I did. I hit four, three, the year I tried three in 2020, it took me until November to do 3,000 miles. I really, really had to work hard at it. And in 2020, it was easy. I could ride for hours and hours and never cough. I had all this energy because I'm getting oxygen to my muscles that I had never got before. I called one of the researchers. I said, hey, am I smarter? She's like, no, but you're getting more oxygen to your brain than you've ever gotten, so you have mental energy. I didn't get tired at noon. I could work all day with clarity. So all this is happening, and so for this year, I thought, well, if I did five last year, you know, maybe I should do 6,000. So I just keep pushing, and you know, I'm on pace for 6,500 miles. I'm going to do it. I just rode my bike across Missouri from Kansas to Illinois two weeks ago. My riding partner, uh, we started a bicycle club together. Her and I were always even in strength. That's why we're, we're great riding partners. I smoked her this year. I said, you get back there and you draft all day long. I'm so happy that I can lead you, right? Because we always swap, right? You get tired, she leads. You get a little break. I was like, you get back there. I feel so good. I'll be happy that you draft me for four days. We rode. 320 miles in four and a half days. That's 70 miles a day. I never got tired. This medicine is truly a miracle of positive thinking. I want to tell you what the researcher told me. I, went, I got to go up to the company a couple years ago and give a speech. And I got to meet the chief biologist, the chief geneticist, the chief, all of them. And I'm talking to the geneticist. I said, well, how long have you been doing this? He's like, well... I graduated in 1989, and I've been in a lab ever since. I said, well, have you ever discovered a medicine? Nope. I was like, I, I just have to say this. My mind wouldn't stand for that. I need results. I couldn't do 20, 30 years. He said, well, I get results every day. I said, well, can you tell me about that? He said, Mike, I've done thousands and thousands of things that the researchers won't have to do moving forward. We are narrowing this genetic playing field every day. That was one year before this medicine came out. He got it. He, was, he had this dumb hope. He just knew it would come. He knew his efforts were eliminating thousands of possibilities, narrowing the focus of... Well, he didn't even get it in his lifetime, did he? But he, he had such purpose. And he really inspired me to think, 
if I don't get my result that I want, what, what am I learning? What am I eliminating not to do and to do? He was brilliant. His mind was so, so mentally fit. He had such positive intelligence. And, and he got this. He was the chief medicine for this medicine. So my promise is this. If you take control of this negative way our brain likes to focus on negative and move over to the positive side, and you don't have to do it perfectly. You just have to catch it more times than negative. There's some promises here. Peak performance, you working at your full potential. Not compromising. Exceptional leadership. This is leadership people want to follow. My dad was my dad. I saw all of his faults, but I wanted to follow his leadership because he was positive and hopeful and he believed in me. And this is something that I've heard about him for a long time now. Healthy relationships. Previous to this switch in my mind, before I saw the saboteurs, uh, I couldn't hold relationships. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust them. So I learned to trust myself and my wife, Renee, who's amazing. Every girl I dated for a long time, I'd tell them about CF. And they would say, oh, you're so brave. You're so courageous. You know what she said? What are you doing about it? I was like, yes, this is the one. Uh, so healthy relationships at home, at work, wherever, and then well-being, you will be happier. And I'm not talking about glee and pleasure. I'm talking about deep joy and life satisfaction. Only these, the way that our mind sabotages can take us away from happiness. I see it every day. Uh, Shirzad, the man who wrote the book, he talked about uh, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Her child died. She did something with that, something immensely powerful. Christopher Reeves, the same way. And I see it every day in the cystic fibrosis community. People turning this disease into gifts and opportunity. I used to think it was a curse. And then reflecting one time, I was like, oh, if I didn't have this in my life, I wouldn't have moved around the country. I wouldn't have this sense of adventure and good urgency. I probably would have never run a marathon, much less nine, much less 20 half, much less an Ironman. I, I wouldn't see the immense um, graciousness of time, money, and resources that helped fund the medicine. It's truly a gift, and my mind made many opportunities from that. So I see it every day in myself. More importantly, I see it all around me. Turning disruption into gifts and opportunities. On how am I doing on time? Do I have a few minutes? During COVID, I saw a lot of my peers in the coaching world doing good. I was like, well, shoot, if they can do it, I can do it. And it took me a couple weeks to flip, right? Because I got a lung disease, and the little machine that was going off is uh, uh, blood sugar. I'm diabetic. CF destroyed my pancreas. So not only do I have one life-threatening disease, I got a bonus of two. And I turned, like, when I was diagnosed with diabetes, it was during my third marathon. Renee and I go down. I had, uh, my body was pretty messy at the time. We're figuring out what was going on. And he says, I might, Ravi, Michael, you have diabetes. I'm like, whatever. Literally, I, I was so sage, so mentally fit. 
was like, well, if we can do CF, this is manageable. CF wasn't manageable at the time. Diabetes is. Diet, insulin, you're good. So a lot of people freak out when they get a diagnosis like diabetes. Renee and I were like, we can do it. Um, you don't have to go through these ongoing challenges to build this resilience. It doesn't have to take years and years. You can build this special mindset within seven weeks. Uh, if you read the book Positive Intelligence, Dan, you guys are reading it right now. There's a program that you can go through that retrains your brain. I won't talk too much about it. If you have questions, let me know. Um, I've seen it in clients within seven weeks. They, they make this shift from the negative side to the positive, and it changes their lives. And they write me letters like, you changed my life. I'm like, I didn't. Shirzad did. I just made it available to you. Right? So it's really neat to see that there's a nice scientific approach to this. You don't have to suffer for years. You don't have to do it on your own. So that's really exciting. Um, last thing about the medicine. In 1955, the CF Foundation was started by parents because no one wanted to research cystic fibrosis. It is a rare disease. Companies spend billions of dollars developing one little medicine. There's only 70,000 people worldwide with CF. There's no money in it. It's a money-losing proposition. But the parents didn't care. They wanted their children to be healthy. So years and years go by and no one's researching CF. Then Dr. Beal becomes the new president somewhere in the 80s. And he says, if they won't work with us, the pharmaceutical companies, we're going to make them work with us. So he was the pioneer of venture charity. Every dollar raised uh, for cystic fibrosis goes into a pool and Dr. Beal looks for small startup biopharma companies and says, hey, I got $10 million. You want it? You got to do CF research. He was genius. He started venture uh, charity. Forbes magazine, Discovery, Harvard Business Review have been writing about this for decades now. And while many big charities with lots and lots of funding are still searching, our little CF Got it. It is this new medicine. They yet I can say it's a functional cure. As long as that medicine keeps responding in my body, I will not die of cystic fibrosis. Now I do have that from the doctor and the researchers. They just they're not going to say it. It's a big promise. But I am essentially cured of cystic fibrosis. Fifty years after they said I would live five years. So uh, that's my story. I'm sticking with it. Uh, thank you so much for making me feel welcome and participating. Don, do we have any time for Q and A? Okay. Uh, anybody have any questions about any of it? Yes, sir. Time on that first one. Oh. Um, so let's, let's see, I was always shooting for a sub four hour marathon. 26.2, don't leave out the point two. <laughs> um, 
that yeah, was really hard. Um, it, was, it was my ninth marathon. It was in Memphis, and it was four hours and seven minutes. When I was 42, and I was running that one when I was 31. Something like that. Nine years, ten years later. There was a year I skipped with injuries. Uh, she's asking whether I stop at all in a marathon. There's different philosophies of whether you stop or not. You can if you want. You can run through the whole thing, which is what I was trained on, or you can uh, take a one-minute walk break every 10 minutes. I have PR'd walking uh, one minute every 10 minutes. PR'd, personal record. So uh, you can do either. You could walk it. I know lots of people who have walked to them. It's just about, um, you got to want it. It's so weird. 1% of the population will run a marathon. So there's got to be something special driving you. Uh, also, 1% of the population has served in the military. So it's a really special thing that drives our military folk and something special that drives marathoners. And Ironmen, one half of 1% of the population will attempt. We have one of those in the room. <laughs> Tom, Tom Basler, right there. 30? Um, would you tell them your age? Is that okay? Uh, <laughs> Tom's very inspirational to me. Um, I, I, I want to be still riding my bike at 60. And so I've got some older friends, and they're retired, and they can kick my butt on a bike. And instead of being upset about that, I'm just like, that's where I want to be, right? Just vitality, live with vitality. And Tom is uh, someone I get to talk to often, and he's uh, my inspiration. And I'm just so proud of him that he's just keeping going. Uh, so four hours, seven minutes. Anything else? Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Dan's talking about borrowed hope. As he said, my dad believed. I was like, well, if he believes, I guess I can believe. And what did I know? I knew nothing. I was an 18-year-old dum-dum. Uh, but I learned about borrowed hope from a businesswoman. Uh, she sells bank products of some kind. And she really was trying to start over her life. Like, literally had a buck 20 in the bank and walked into an office to clean the office. Like, hey, I'll clean your office. And the guy's like, I like your gumption. You want to sell? So he hires her, and her first six months were awful, right? Brand new in sales, failing every day. And her boss just got, you can do this. You're getting better. It's going to click. I believe. I believe. And she told me about borrowing hope. My, I said, well, what kept you going, Melanie? She's like, I just borrowed his belief in me. Borrowed is hope. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And something you can do, Dan Lewis and I were talking about this. Dan's a great coach. You know, he's coaching his kids. And um, something you can do is this, this, this little miracle, like the miracle drug I take. Uh, all you have to do 
is rub your fingers together for 10 seconds if you're feeling very negative. Really focus in on that sensation and you will block those saboteur thoughts. It's pretty hard for your, it's impossible for your brain to do two things at once. You're really not multitasking, multitaskers. You're task switching. You're stopping one thing and then trying to refocus on another. And it takes something like 20 to 30 minutes to regain focus when you're distracted. So, you know, try not to multitask. It's not very good. So when you do this, you're just really focusing. Can I feel my fingertip ridges? You're, you're creating focus on that, which then your brain can't do two things at once. So these little saboteur thoughts, they can't get through that. And that's very calming. John, can you attest to that? Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. I'm glad I learned about that eight years ago in positive intelligence. Uh, still, you know, these saboteurs are still doing their thing, and he there there was no guided exercises, but he said, hey, next time you're brushing your teeth, feel the brushes on your gum, feel the bubbles of the toothpaste. So every morning I was like, oh yeah, that feels so good. <laughs> like a crazy person brushing my teeth. My wife's like, what's going on over there? Any other questions about this special mindset, uh, how you can get it? Yes. That is a great question. The question is, how do you know whether a thought is sabotaged or whether it's a proper warning that something should be like, hey, there's some danger in life or there's something you should consider? And that's really the crux question. So negative emotions aren't bad. They serve a purpose. They're a little alert system. If um, I walk across a bear in the woods and I'm not concerned, I have a problem. Right? That little fear radar is serving me. Uh, but generally, you know, in our business lives, we're not running across bears in the woods. We are running across problems that create fear and self-doubt and all kinds of other things. But we, we want to take the warning, like your hand is over the stove, and the this, this stove is your negative emotion shouting at you, telling you something. This is danger, danger. Well, what they know from positive psychology and now neuroscience is if you keep your hand over the fire of negative emotions, your brain really shrinks. They call it your thought action repertoire. And your thought action repertoire gets real narrow. Bite, flight, freeze, fawn. Fawning is going along with the crowd because it seems to be the safe thing to do. And you all here are entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs. You can't be like everybody else. You have to stand out. Okay, so it's a warning sign hey, there's something wrong, but it's not always right. Your brain's not always right. So what you do is you remove your hand from the warning sign of a positive emotion. Okay, I heard the fear. Do I really have something to be fearful of? And that's when you do these guys to get in the calm side of your brain and then source the solution. Dr. Barbara Fredrickson is out of Stanford, and she was one of the first people to study positive emotions. 
Can you believe all the years since Freud, no one studied the value of positive emotions? It was all negative. Remember that negative bias I was talking about? The psychologist even had it. So Dr. Barbara Fredrickson studies the value that positive emotions give us, and it's our, we, we are more resilient, more flexible, more adapting, more collaborative when our mind is in a positive state. So heed the warning, get your hand off the warning, and then make the decision, because you'll have a better decision when you're not stressed or worried. Make sense? Okay. Not just takes training. I hear it, but I'm not going to stick in it. It just takes a little mental fitness. That's good. That's really good. Mike, thank you so much. Um, I would love to hear from you if, what you're most excited about right now with what you're building in business, if you don't mind sharing. What I'm that. most excited about yeah. is this coaching. Yeah. So I'm an executive coach and a personal coach, uh, and I really have done the deep dive into mental fitness. It's an app-led program, seven weeks to retrain your brain, and I'm seeing results uh, across the country. I have clients from coast to coast and in Germany. So uh, a woman was introduced to me in Germany. She's a business owner, mother of two, 42 years old, diagnosed with MS. Wow. And just everything I experienced as a 15-year-old is flooding into her life at 42. And just literally within probably 10 weeks, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I see the gift and opportunity in this. Yep. Mind-blowing. So the mental okay. fitness uh, program is, my, uh, is really exciting. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. thank you. Mike, thank you so much. That was really like incredible. <laughs> incredible. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, um... Well, there you have it. Another Mastermind Project podcast. We want to thank you for being here and investing in yourself. Uh, that's the key to growth because we know that growth doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. So thank you for investing in yourself. We hope that you found something here useful. As a matter of fact, it's our desire that you've heard something from this podcast that would make a difference if you implement it in your business. And we know that success favors the speed of implementation. Take a note, take action on something that you've learned here. It'll make a difference. We'd love to hear about it. So, and you can also join us and tell us a little bit about it at our next live event. And you can register for that at www.briankmcrae.com www.briankmcrae.com. We've got our mastermind event schedule there and you can join us virtually uh, at our next event on the third Thursday of the month. So for this time and until next time, study things that matter, practice things that matter and teach things that matter to people who care. Appreciate you.